Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, here's a list of all the things that I want to talk to you about today. Are you ready? I think so. I want to talk about Mike Francesa, the Pope. (laughs) I want to talk about the Boston Red Sox firing president of baseball operations, Dave Dombrowski. I want to talk to you about Travis Sawcheck writing a bad piece about minor league affiliates. And then, of course, I want to do three up, three down. We need to talk about Noah Syndergaard and his weird preferential catcher situation. But more important than all of that, Yesterday, last night, I was having a tough time falling asleep. I had a little too much coffee late in the afternoon, as I am wont to do. And I'm scrolling Twitter on the Tipping Pitches Twitter account. Have you ever heard of it? Tipping underscore pitches. Follow us. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, give us a follow. And I'm scrolling and I see trending none other than our new patron saint of the podcast, Tony Kemp. And I'm like, why is Tony Kemp trending? That's so weird. Hang on. Is he real, real quick, let's rewind to the to the part where you said that he's our new patron saint of the podcast. Well, that's okay. quite a declaration to make. We mentioned him like once four episodes ago. And most of the stuff that we talked about with him was off mic and it never actually made it into the show. So I imagine how people <laughs> exactly. listening might be very confused. However, I, I maybe patron saint was too strong. He's the new Joe Panic, which is an in-joke within an in-joke. So no one is really understanding what's going on right now. But he's the new, completely irrelevant baseball player who I forget exists from time to time. How about that? Wow, you're doing my man dirty. Tony Kemp's my 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 day one guy. Well, so I I am doing him dirty. And I was like, this guy's trending on Twitter. I'll, I'll see what is going on with him. Did he make some spectacular play? Or did he hit a walk-off home run or something like that? And uh, it turns out everyone on Twitter was doing him dirtier than I was because the reason that he was trending on Twitter, Alex, is because he let off for the Chicago Cubs yesterday. The Chicago Cubs, a team in a hotly contested wildcard race who fell out of the division lead after supposedly being a dynasty. Those same Chicago Cubs. And he is hitting 200 on the year. And he was trending because so many Cubs fans were mad that Joe Madden batted Tony Kemp lead off in the middle of a wildcard race. Tony Jesus Kemp. Christ. Darkest timeline stuff right there. The thing is, like, I kind of, I like Tony Kemp as a player, honestly, all things considered. I think just because he represents that, like, platonic ideal of the scrappy sort of player who doesn't really exist anymore, who who you and I have lamented quite a few times on this podcast, uh, doesn't exist anymore, right? He, like... He's more of a slap hitter. He is small. He doesn't have a lot of power, although he's hit seven home runs this year, juiced ball. And he's fast as hell. And he doesn't, he's he doesn't necessarily do anything particularly well, but he's extremely fun to watch just because he he grinds it out, you know? Um yeah. so Wait, I Wait, I was like to believe that only white players are allowed to do that. Right, Sorry to yes. interrupt you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's only Bryce Harper who does that sort of thing. It's obviously, David Eckstein and uh, Dustin Pedroia, middle infielders. Brett Gardner, those types. <laughs> Dustin Pedroia, rest in peace. Wow. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, I uh, all this to say that it's it's 
quite a luxury for Cubs fans to be like, why is Tony Kemp leading off for us when you have a lineup filled with Jason Hayward and Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Javi Baez most of the year Sad. and uh, and Wilson Contreras. And I mean, the list goes on and on. Like, y'all are going to be fine, really. Yeah. I mean, I understand why people were mad that he was leading off in the middle of this playoff race and he's sitting 200 for the year. And uh, things are not going well for the Cubs right now, despite the fact that they almost blew a 4 nothing lead today against the Padres, but ended up holding on. Um, I, leave our Mantoni out of this. That's all I have to say to Chicago Twitter, for all you Chicago Twitterers listening. Yeah, also, like, in a one-game sample size, like, that thing really doesn't matter. Like, whether he's hitting first or seventh or eighth or something like that, like, yeah, on the season, he's going to see more at-bats. But like, it really doesn't matter. Like Anthony Rizzo is still going to hit. You guys are going to be fine. Dude, Anthony Rizzo is having a good year. We're getting very far off topic and we haven't even done the formal intro yet. But Anthony Rizzo, you know, we, we, three and a we half never four about the Cubs. <laughs> on base percentage, 400. Like he's going to get traded next year. That's my take. No way. What? Why? Yeah, I, think Why Cubs are gonna, I think the Cubs are going to blow it up. Alex, they're going to blow it up. We're doing Sports Talk Radio. Okay. Um, we're going to get into all that stuff that I listed at the top of the show. But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. The podcast that stands Tony Kemp. Show our man some respect. <laughs> I, I imagine we're the only one. And frankly, I, I'm here for that. We need more Tony Kemp respect in this world. Okay, I have a confession to make to you. I've been listening to a lot of Mike Francesa. I will turn off this podcast right now. We'll stop recording. <laughs> I will turn Watch this podcast around. <laughs> um, ever since we made all those jokes about the sports talk radio and the uh, what would happen, what would our show sound like if we became the left-wing version of the sports talk radio, I decided I would give his uh, smaller baseball interview segments a listen. And you know, I knew this in the past because Newsday, like Mike Francesa was a beat at Newsday. So I was listening to him then when I needed to and reading a lot of stories about him. But Mike Francesa interviews the Mets and Yankees managers, and he has like a standing interview with Eli Manning and like head coaches of the Jets and the Giants. He just has interviews with these people on his radio show every week, and they talk for like 20 minutes. And Francesa asks questions, and Callaway just kind of like slams Mets players. Like I was listening to an interview with him, and they were basically discussing like how terrible the bullpen has been. And Callaway's like, yeah, I can't really trust anyone. And I'm like, why are you saying this? <laughs> you know, and then they start Mickey, talking about... Mickey, the mics are on. <laughs> literally. Frances is like, he's asking him about Lugo and like whether he can be a closer or not or whether he should be a starter. And Mickey's like, you know, I just don't know if he's durable enough to be a closer. And I'm like, he's on your team. He's your best reliever. You shouldn't be suggesting that he's not durable enough to be a closer. And then, and then Francesca's asking him if he should be a starter or not. And Mickey's like, you know, I kind of think he has starter stuff. I'm like, why isn't he a starter then? You're the manager. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I would think that the thing is like, whoever the Mets manager is so often goes out there and spews BS that is clearly coming down from ownership or the GM or whoever, whoever it is covering for them. Uh, just, you know, talking about how they're going to wait out an injury on Zach Wheeler or whoever, and then he has to go to the DL, you know, whatever it ends up being. So for the best manager to come out and be like, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith. I, 
that almost like it almost feels like a breath of fresh air. Like yeah. as a Mets fan, my emotions would be very thrown, you know? And like I, you were a Mets fan and I am a, a lesser Mets fan. So I, I can't speak to how you feel about this. But like on the one hand, yes, I want my manager standing up for my players. But on the other hand, after being fed just line after line of bullshit for so long, yes. I'm kind of like, okay, I, at least you're like saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, well, if part of me was like, oh, wait, wait, we're actually talking here. I should actually listen to this. <laughs> and I guess that's like part of the the appeal of the institution that is Mike Francesa is that he's like, he's bigger than the manager. So he doesn't need to have the manager on his show to give some fake or half-assed quotes that you're describing. And to have the manager on the show, it's like, they must be giving good stuff or else he just won't invite him back next week. God, so is Mike Francesa low-key the, the hard-hitting investigative journalist that we need in I mean, 2019? That, he's the truth that teller saying? that we're seeking. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And this funny. podcast has taken such a turn over the last couple of weeks. Like we've endorsed Manfred. We've endorsed umpires. We've come first full circle on Francesa. Like, should we just pack it in and call it a day? Please cancel our show if we ever come full circle on Bob Nightingale or Phil Mushnick. You know, that's oh, God. When <laughs> that's when we've really gone, I think, too far. Uh, I, I highly encourage listeners, maybe not highly encourage, but if you're curious, <laughs> just go listen to a couple. Of, they post all these Francesa segments in like 17-minute chunks, and they come out like three at a time. And I'm like, I, you guys are not doing this right. You can find it in your podcast app. I'm like, you guys are... It's an interesting strategy you have going here, and clearly you don't know or care about what really makes for good podcast feeds. However, I've been listening, and they all end with back after this, so it's pretty entertaining. We could we could spend like an entire podcast just talking about the fact that Mike Francesa just launched his own platform. He was like, fuck this, I don't need this radio shit, and just like launched his own podcast slash radio app that people can pay for. And like, is it like is that still a thing? It got bought like, out. Do people this week? Do people? Oh, oh, did it really? Yeah, it got bought out by Entercom, which is like a radio station, basically. It's like say, a radio it, station conglomerate. <laughs> so uh, it it's all it's all full life cycle. I mean, that's kind of a hustle, dude. He kind like the seven ninety nine subscription that no one was paying. First of all, seven ninety nine for the or eight ninety nine for the Mike Francesa app. Are we kidding? No one was subscribed, yet somehow Entercom bought it out. So he got more money out of it somehow, and he never left the radio. I don't know. We need to figure. We need to put the tipping tipping pitches radio show success plan into motion. How about that? Yeah, Intercom hit, hit us up if you want some hard hitting baseball talk. Okay, um, we should actually probably talk about the real things that happened in baseball this week, not just the made-up thoughts that I have while listening to Mike Francesa in the Apple Podcast app. Uh, yeah, let's do it. First and foremost, this is something that I've been excited to talk with you about uh, since the story broke. And maybe excited is the wrong word because I'm probably going to take a pretty cynical worldview of this, but the Boston Red Sox fired President of Baseball Operations Dave Dombrowski. I keep wanting to say general manager, but that's not technically correct. Um, they fired him less than a year after he won the Red Sox World Series, or he was the architect of the team that won the World Series for the Red Sox. Is there even another way to look at this other than that 
the Red Sox don't want to spend the money that Dave Dombrowski is going to sign them up to spend? Short answer, no. Long answer, no. <laughs> that's that's all it is. He he went into his tenure as kind as the kind of GM or president of operations or or whatever because so many of these, so many of these titles are all kind of fungible. Um, but he went into his tenure uh, in control of the team, basically saying, "I'm going to do whatever I can to get us a championship." And that means I'm going to trade prospects, I'm going to spend money, and I'm going to try and put as many stars on the field as one time as possible. And he did it, but that's unfortunately not how baseball teams work anymore. If if every GM thought like that, it would be a incredibly fun league to watch, but because more and more owners are... Uh, are cautious about spending money or going over the luxury tax like the Red Sox are on the verge of doing that it's just like it doesn't sit well with the owner's wallets and uh and that sucks because ultimately it creates a lesser product for us as fans like I don't really know where the Red Sox go from here but you hear the reports coming out about how they might have to trade Mookie Betts or JD Martinez and JD Martinez is really good and Mookie Betts is a franchise player in his prime. So what the fuck, man? I can't wrap my head around the idea that they would actually trade Mookie Betts. He's literally the second best player in baseball and only because the greatest player of all time is ahead of him. Yes, he literally is a generational talent. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that Dave Dombrowski is the kind of guy who makes the moves that maybe as fans we want to see. It's weird because I feel like we've almost been forced to like champion Dave Dombrowski, which is a thing that we don't really do. We being the collective baseball left Twitter verse. I don't really, there's not a lot of baseball executives that, that uh, we all come out in support of, but this weird, unique circumstance has kind of forced us to reckon with the fact that like Dave Dombrowski's baseball is kind of the baseball that we want to see contenders, uh, execute however i i will say it's not like he was uh, he had the perfect track record of how we want baseball teams to operate like we've maybe gone a little bit too far it's not he he didn't go sign people this offseason he didn't go bolster the bullpen he didn't bring back craig kimbrell and maybe that was because he had a mandate from boston ownership not to do any of that stuff because their payroll was already higher than they were comfortable with paying but my my reaction to all of this, my instant reaction, and the reaction that persists is that, like, why are we even doing this? Like, if we're going to create this weird artificial ceiling where teams only want to compete to the level that a certain amount of money lets them compete to, despite the fact that the Kansas City Royals are selling for a billion dollars, what is even the point? <laughs> What's the point of contending at all? If you're not going to allow your team to win and then for that to be a desirable outcome, I, the Red Sox literally, they won the World Series last year. They won 108 games. And this year, of course, they're going to miss the playoffs and they're a little bit disappointing. But this is kind of their MO. They did this even back to past regimes where they would go from winning the World Series to finishing last in the division. Like that literally happened multiple times this decade. And I, you used to think, and maybe this is going to sound like get off my lawn a little bit, but you used to think that like winning a World Series would buy you a few years of <laughs> underperforming. Yeah. Like 
the whole the whole world of optimization and how that applies to the baseball universe is it's like this double-edged sword where I can't decide how I really feel about it because analytically, like I'm inclined to want to be optimized. Dave Dombrowski didn't really believe in analytics in the R and D department. Like it didn't grow much in his time in his tenure with the Red Sox. He's like an old school scouting kind of guy. He uh, doesn't trust a lot of the, these like new numbers and things like that. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's a little bit wrong headed. But at the same time, I'm like, well, if all these other teams are just going to apply that stuff in sinister ways, like maybe we should just bring back scouts. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Yeah. And it's especially rich that the Red Sox are the the ones doing this because Good we saw. Choice. Especially rich. <laughs> <laughs> took me a second. Because um, we saw the, Mar- I mean, the Marlins teardown was obviously um, just top to bottom. And they hadn't come out of it winning a World Series either, at least not in recent years. But they had a bunch of young stars that they realized they weren't going to be able to or didn't want to be able to pay money to. And so they sold them off because they had to cut around the edges. And it's one thing for the Marlins, who have one of the lesser owner set payrolls in the league, but it's another for the Red Sox, who are one of the three or four richest teams in baseball to be like, yeah, we actually can't afford to pay this generational talent. Yeah, we actually don't have enough money to pay Chris Sale or David Price or whoever it is. And we can quibble all day long about like, uh, should, you know, should Price have been given this contract given his age or like given sales injury history? Like, should he have gotten XYZ as opposed to ABC or whatever? But it's like, it doesn't matter. Like the, like the Red Sox could afford to do this. And there's no, there's no outcome that you can like logically argue for that doesn't just come down to, yeah, we don't want to spend the money. Like you trade away bets and it's just, a straight up dumbass move, right? Or you trade away everyone around bets so that you can pay him. And then your team is just bad because it's Mookie bets and a bunch of scrubs. Like what? none of this indicates a competitive mindset. And yet it's the mindset that is just sweeping front offices and, or rather ownerships across the league. It's sort of funny to watch teams try to stay in like the sweet spot of convincing people through like a PR campaign that they do want to win and that they do care about winning and that when they win the World Series it's not just lucking into it because this feels very reminiscent of like in this offseason we were talking a lot about how no one was signing Dallas Keuchel and how if you wanted to win you probably should just sign Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell and you should probably more people should probably be in on Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and that kind of thing. Like it feels very reminiscent of that because if you trade Mookie bets, it's literally it's just a downright admittance that winning is not the most important thing. Yep. Because he is he's a winning player, Alex. You know why? Because he's really good. And yeah. uh he was the best player on your World Series team that walked through the playoffs last year. And it's interesting to watch how different teams balance that idea of like we want to win, but only at a certain cost. Like everybody just wants to be the Dodgers and the Astros where like they have these, this churn of cost controlled players 
and they can trade for a guy here and there to be quote unquote all in. But at the same time, they're like not mortgaging their future by giving away too many prospects. And they've amassed this like certain amount of organizational value. And that's not really like how this is supposed to work. Right. Well, in part because the Astros won a World Series and the Dodgers haven't. But that's a conversation (laughs) for another day. I mean, the, the Astros are a bit of an anomaly because they were able to completely tear down and then build up this dynasty, the likes of which we we haven't seen or will not see for a long time, probably. And that, that doesn't always hit. And the Dodgers, it seems like, have always just floated near the top, but never been able to like push over, despite the fact that they're like spending money pretty consistently, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, it's just funny for me to kind of think about how this how this interaction went down between Dombrowski and the Red Sox owners, you know, because whenever, when Dombrowski took over like four or five years ago and the Red Sox were kind of spinning their wheels. And so the owners came to Dombrowski and said, all right, look, buddy, we want you to put together a championship caliber team. And he said, okay. And he went out and he won them a division title. And then he won them another division title. And then he won the World Series. And this year they've played over 500 and will miss the playoffs. And it's like, that's the final straw. You like, you, you lose all credibility. Like, it's not based on success, right? Like, you can't yeah. argue that, that it has anything to do with his track record as a GM because it's good. He, like, I'm not saying, I'm not going to co sign every single move he's made, but like, you look at the overall record and you can't argue with it. I would take him running my baseball team. Yeah, and if you try to dig deeper beyond the overall record, if you want to try to look at like predictive performance and like how good were they actually, like nope, they were really that good. Like they were really yep. the best offense and one of the best pitching. They were really the best offense in baseball last year, like kind of by far, and then like the pitching came together in the playoffs and that's how you win a World Series. I just yes, I think something that you said in there is that if the standard is not success, well, then what is the standard? So let's push past the standard being success. And the standard is clearly uh, the most quote-unquote bang for your buck. If Dombrowski had done this and signed all of these players to under-market value contracts, John Henry would be through the fucking moon, dude. Like, if he signed Price and Sale and he got them to take some quote-unquote hometown deal or whatever, or he flipped them into cost-controlled guys on rookie contracts. Like, if he turned Chris Sale into Chris Paddock and then they won the World Series last year or, you know, or if he turned Chris Sale into Noah Syndergaard and they they won the World Series last year. Like, I guarantee you Dave Gombrowski would not be out of a job, but because he actually paid players what they were worth, he's now out of a job because they didn't win the World Series every year. So if the bar for a being allowed to pay players what they're worth is that team has to then win, win the World Series every year, we're never going to come back from that. Like that, that clearly just is not going to happen. No one is going to back to back to back. Yeah. It doesn't bode well for the overall health of the league or I think what other GMs who, who look at what the Red Sox have just done, how they will respond to that. Right. Because like it's a clear trend of the, the direction in which the league is moving. And that's just towards this like idea of efficiency. And it, it actually blends very well into the, 
topic we're about to discuss about like yeah. just getting rid of the minor leagues, right? Because it's like <laughs> you just want to pare everything down and spend as little money as possible for like the the barest output because baseball teams are an investment. They're like a stock to be traded. And yes. it's it's a very it's a few billionaires who control all these strings and and that's really all that matters to them is lining their pockets. Well, there's really like no accountability. So so we're alluding to this, but we should just move on and talk about this. And that's that uh, Travis Sochik uh, wrote, who's a staff writer for 538. He wrote a piece titled, Do We Even Need Minor League Baseball? And uh, the subheader and basically the through line of the piece is player development off the field may be rendering farm systems irrelevant. So he goes on to write about how Teams have gotten so much better at player development in terms of like swing tracking and movement tracking. And basically what the players are getting out of games now pales in comparison to what these coaches, these new age coaches think that they can teach in practice because they can have monitors on them at all times and they can use the data to make tweaks a la, you know, like Justin Turner and these guys. While I understand, I should say, I should preface this, I understand how he could get enveloped in this line of thinking. Because I'm reading MVP Machine right now, which is the book that he co-wrote with uh, my coworker, Ben Lindbergh. And I can see how you can be persuaded by the idea that this new age tech is the only thing. And it's the right way because teams that are employing it are seeing a lot of success out of it. And I can see how you might have this ingrained thought and this wrong-headed thought, in my opinion, that making players better is the only reason to have baseball. And we just spent a whole a whole segment talking about how success should be the standard, right? But I do think that like, and, and this was articulated extremely well in a response piece on Deadspin from uh, Albert Bernecco. I do think we should not let our striving for success take away the actual baseball. (laughs) Like minor league baseball exists. It started because teams wanted to develop players. Right. But the, the extent of it exists now because like people go and baseball in general exists because people want to watch it. Like we're not, this is literally entertainment. That's all this (laughs) is. (laughs) And, and that gets back to what your point just now was with to owners. It's not entertainment. If they go to a game and their team wins a barn burner 7-6 and it was a great game to watch and all of the fans go home happy, but it turns out that they didn't sell enough concessions that day and they didn't come out in the black and said they came out in the red for a home game, owners are not going to be happy. So they clearly just have different interests in mind than than fans do. And the reason that this game even exists in in the end of the day is because it is supposed to be entertaining. And... I think to even suggest that you should get rid of minor league baseball, which is the only accessible version of baseball that exists in the world, accessible meaning like I can go to like 10 games a year and not feel the financial burden of that. I just think that's insane, dude. I I don't know how you don't realize that when suggesting it in an article. And maybe he was suggesting it because he thinks that's something that's going to happen and he doesn't necessarily agree with it. This was just a reported piece, not an opinion piece. But I think that we should probably at least have acknowledged the fact that minor league baseball is like the only pure thing left. 
And uh, we should not just get rid of it because it'll help out some owners in terms of their costs. The thing is, like, to even write this piece is disingenuous. To, like, even pose this question, you know? Like, you cannot be a ostensibly national baseball reporter and ask, do we even need minor league baseball? Like, no matter way you slice it, like, yeah, we do. Like, you can't look at the way that Major League Baseball operates right now, which is just a constant churn of players who are making way too uh, little money relative to their value, right? Like, I mean, the amount of the amount of players who come up and down each year is ridiculous. And you can't look at this trend and be like, do we even need these minor leagues? Anymore? So what do you have? Just like each team has like a dozen or so people on hand not playing baseball, just like ready to come up and be slotted into the lineup? Like I'm like on the one hand, yes, I I understand that this article is meant to be like a sort of grander discussion about player development, Mm -hmm. but it's also a ridiculous question. Like it doesn't, it doesn't offer any real insight other than this real fetishization of like new age player development, you know, like you don't learn how to play baseball just by hitting in a batting cage in front of a camera and a coach. I think that he would disagree with that. Like, I think that's the crazy part about reading this is like, I think he would be like, and that's the part that really frustrated me while reading this was because like, our goal is to not get a better swing plane. I mean, it is to get a better swing plane indirectly because maybe that will help us play and hit better and win in the actual game. But our goal is to actually play the game. (laughs) Like, yeah, so... (laughs) I'm like stumbling over my words because there's so much about this that like genuinely angers me, you know? And like, if the goal is efficiency, like if you want to make baseball really efficient, you know, you could do just get, get rid of baseball entirely. Yes. Like if we're really just, (laughs) if we're all about efficiency, I gotta, I have something to tell you about major league sports and that's that they really don't need to exist at all. There's no point to any of them <laughs> except to <laughs> enrich a few people. But they're there because we like going to games. Because yes. I like taking the ferry out to Staten Island and watching a bunch of players who I have zero connection to just play baseball for three hours. And I can bring along someone who cares about baseball entirely or doesn't care about baseball at all. And we can have a really pleasant time there. And that's like you were saying, that is the the essence of it. It's very pure. Whether it's played at the the highest levels or the lowest levels, there is an experience that should be cultivated. And to just argue, to look at it from this very like hard headed, analytical, like data driven perspective, totally the ignore it. Totally ignores the reality of what of the purpose that baseball and professional sports and entertainment at large serves. Yeah. I I think the thing that strikes me about the reading the piece in 538, and this is a thing that strikes me about reading a lot of pieces in 538 is that it comes from this perspective of on high. You wouldn't feel this way and prepare for this very populist take and language out of me, but you wouldn't feel this way if you were one of the people who lived in, I don't know, 
bumblefuck and you didn't have a major league team and all you could do was get maybe one team on cable that you didn't really like that much or you couldn't really connect with that much because they're not even from your state or your city or wherever you didn't grow up there but you had a minor league team in your town and you got to go all the time and you got to go for five dollars and you got to have a hot dog and popcorn and all this stuff and you got to spit seeds and um teach whoever who is going with you about what um a hit and run is and all that stuff like you wouldn't feel that way if you actually thought about those millions and tens of millions and maybe even a hundred million people who go to minor league baseball games per year. Like to wipe that all away, even if we go beyond about this argument about efficiency and what works best for player development and whether it's playing in minor league games or not, even if you take all of that out of the equation, what is the point of getting rid of it? It's good. People think it's good because people still go and people still talk about it with affection, like you and I do. Like, maybe the games are not played at the highest level, like we're not watching Justin Verlander throw a no-hitter out there in minor leagues, but that's what Major League Baseball is for. That's what MLB TV is for. That's what the most of this podcast is for. But the minor leagues are for people who actually like to go and have an experience and actually enjoy just the setting and the environment of baseball. And I worry, and it's crazy because... This is a Phil Mushnick take, but I worry that like the further we get down the analytics rabbit hole, the further we get away from the actual people who are going to watch the game and the experience of being at a baseball game. Like, I'm not going to come out here and stand for sacrifice bunting or anything like that. I don't think we should get rid of analytics, but I do think that we should maybe remember that this is a game and that people play it and that people like to watch it. Not because they see the speed at which a pitch was pitched, but because they watch the pitch and they watch the person swing through it. Maybe we should just remember that before we suggest getting rid of the majority of baseball games played in this country. Should we get rid of Little League? Should we get rid of middle school? Should we get rid of high school? Should it all just be centralized training camps where we have seven-year-olds like fed into the Dodgers system? Like kind of how it is with soccer in this country because that's not really working out great. <laughs> I I also think that it an article like this and the discussion that it brings up comes at a pretty interesting time given the calls for people who actually want to pay minor leaguers living wages because right now minor league teams cost very little to the organizations and the owners because they bring in a a fair amount of revenue and the players are paid next to nothing. So like, I, I'm i not going to sit here and argue that we should keep minor leaguers around because they don't cost anything, because we absolutely should pay players. But the response to that should not be that we should just get rid of them entirely. Like, I don't think you can rationally look at this from any perspective and come to the conclusion that minor league baseball is useless. And there's even a quote in here from Mitch Hanniger who says, you can't really simulate facing a pitcher in front of thousands of people and failing in front of a whole bunch of people. So like, what are you, like, you going to do? Are we just playing baseball in virtual reality? You know, is that the future that we're aspiring to? Cause that doesn't sound very fun. Like efficiency sucks. I don't like efficiency. Yep. Make, make baseball as bureaucratic as possible, please. Agreed. I've been floating in my head the idea of 
doing a like doing a podcast segment that's like efficiency has <laughs> ruined the game by taking out the Tony Kemp's of the world. And this is the type of thing that inspires me to want to do a segment like that. Like it's going to be the most washed. It's going to be the most get off my lawn kind of thing. But honestly, like I hate when things force me to be earnest, but this article is forcing me to be earnest. I love baseball. I just love sitting there and watching it. I like going with you. I like going with my friends. I like going with my parents. I like going by myself. I don't care. I just like being at the ballpark. And I know that there are all of these different forces that influence me to want to feel that way and that my money is maybe not going to all of the greatest places. But at least when I go to a minor league game, like all I have to do is go, like growing up, for example, I, I, my minor league team was the Trenton Thunder, double A affiliate of the New York Yankees in Trenton, New Jersey. And it was literally a 10 minute drive from my house. Tickets were literally $5. They do bark at the park. They have bat dogs that go fetch the bats. And my little league would go and we would stand on the field and we would get to stand next to these players who we thought were like the next Mariano Rivera. We thought like every player was going to turn into Jason Giambi. I don't know why I chose that as the example. It could have been like Derek Jeter <laughs> or whatever, but <laughs> I aspired to be Jason Jambi when I grew Well, up. it's because I was I was a first baseman and I was standing next to the first base the first baseman. So, but I to suggest that there's no cultural value to minor league baseball would force you to believe that there's just no cultural value to baseball at all and it's an analytical exercise. And it's far from that. Like it is the most analytical sport. It does have the most MIT graduates in it trying to be the next Theo Epstein. It does have Moneyball. It does have all of the sabermetric movement and it is leading the charge for that that's now bleeding into other sports. And I don't think any of that is bad. I don't think that it's a cancer for the game or anything like that, like a, like the Bob Nightingale types would lead you to believe. But it's not an analytical endeavor. It's not a scientific endeavor. It's not math. It is a game. And it is supposed to be fun and the experience is supposed to be good for people. And minor league baseball is a good, it's a great experience. It is in some cases more fun than major league baseball games because of the hoops that you have to jump through when you get to a major league baseball game. The money that you have to spend, the travel that you have to do, the nosebleed seats that you have to sit in because they cram as many seats into these ballparks as possible to make as much money as possible. I, I would never suggest that you should ditch your major league baseball team and become a fan of just a minor league team and ditch MLB entirely because obviously there's a lot of value to watching the highest level of this game if you appreciate it. But in terms of just like the life experience of what baseball is, minor league baseball is a lot closer. And I, we should we shouldn't get rid of that just because like Paul Dolan wants to save a hundred million dollars every ten years. Yeah, it's it's baffling to me that something like this is being seriously discussed on a national platform. And you can have that conversation about whether there are too many teams or something like that, or if there are ways to streamline some of these processes. To sit here and pretend, as Sachik's article does, that minor league baseball is basically for the benefit of three or four prospects per team. Like that's that's a that's an asinine take 
to have because he quotes Walker Bueller even in being like, you know, like it's not fair to all the other players who are just there as filler, um, you know, to just basically crush their dreams because they're never going to make it to the major leagues. And it's like, that's not what this shit's for. Like, fine. You want to have a complex where you go off and send all your top prospects by all means, go do that. Have fun. But like, you still need these guys to be there playing baseball when your shortstop gets hurt or when your pitcher gets hurt. Like, what are you, like, what are you really going to do? Just have five guys in your farm system? That's it? To, to actually pose this question and then start to think it through to the end, I'm like, yeah. what, what, was, <laughs> what were you really going for here? There's no logical conclusion, really, at the end of it. But, no. um, all right, well, we're talking ourselves in circles because we clearly agree on this, and it's it's hard to continue to have this conversation with um, the ghost of Travis Sotchik in the studio with us. So why don't we take uh, one quick break and then come back and do three up, three down for the week. All right, Bobby, it's that time of the podcast. Are you ready for some three up, three down action? I'm always ready. We can just get rid of the first segment of this podcast if you want and just dive right in three up, three down. We can rename the podcast to, I was just about to say this. tipping up, <laughs> tipping down. What do you think? Hmm. I actually wasn't just about to say that. I Let's take, I take that back. That was, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get back to you next week on that. Um, before we dive into this week's three up, three down, I just want to mention uh, one thing that I know has been on both of our minds this past week. And that's Christian Yelich being out for the remainder of the season because he broke his kneecap on a foul ball. And uh, I don't have much more to say on that, except for it makes me really sad when baseball's brightest young stars do not get to play on its biggest stage. And we've seen it happen now with Javi Baez and with Jose Ramirez and even though he wasn't going to pay, play on baseball's biggest stage, Shohei Otani is out for the rest of the season as of today. And uh, this shit sucks, man. Makes me really sad. That's, uh, you got anything else to add to it? I don't. I'm, I don't have him on my three up, three down this week because it makes me too sad to think about him. So I'm trying to do the cognitive dissonance thing that I've mastered so well in other parts of my life, but seemingly not in baseball fandom. Uh and so I don't have him on my list, but I have been thinking about him a lot, unfortunately, because he was the uh, the star of my fantasy baseball team, and it sucks. <laughs> Clearly, that is so far down on the list of reasons why it sucks that he is out. But um, yeah, it, uh, Christian Yelich is out, which means Bobby's uh, Bobby's fantasy baseball playoff chances are uh, are shriveling up. So, listeners of the podcast, send him some messages of condolences if you feel so inclined. Oh, or money. You know, because mo- I'm money, missing out too. on the uh, the big old pot, <laughs> the big yeah. old pot at the end of the rainbow that I was thinking about I might win in my Ringer Fantasy League. Anyway, let's uh, let's do the segment. Yeah, let's get into it. What's uh, what's coming off your list this week? Coming off my list is uh, last week I added September call-ups, and I am now beyond that because all of the players are randos. <laughs> I was saying to you. <laughs> In, uh, in in between segments just now, just how every time I watch a baseball game, I see someone that I don't really know. And for that reason, I just, you know, September call-ups coming down. 
We get it. Happens every year, except next year <laughs> and all the years after that. Uh, number two, watching baseball at work. This one has been on my list since the beginning of this segment. I'm taking it off my list now because I have so many podcasts to produce, Alex, and I no longer have the luxury of even watching baseball in the background at work because NBA season's coming back and baseball season's kicking into full swing and I just got a new podcast added to my workload. So uh, no more baseball at work. Sad. He says moments after cheering on a Ronald Acuna home run. Well, I'm not at work anymore, technically. This is fun. You know, this is why we do this for fun. It's not work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then the final thing is the 12-minute game from the Red Sox. Um, That was a thing that we talked about a few weeks ago and then talked again with Hannah Kaiser about uh, the uh, the one-inning game that the Red Sox brought back from the rain delay with the Kansas City Royals and the reduced concessions and the um, the reduced tickets with no assigned seating. Uh, I'm taking that off because there has since been much larger Red Sox news to think about. <laughs> and uh, it was only one game. And it doesn't seem like any team anywhere is going to do that as a real program. So, bummer. What is coming off your list this week? All right, off my list this week, Nick Castellanos gets existential with us. Uh, just because it was a, it was so many mental leaps to assume that every day is opening day that I just, my brain kind of melted at the prospect of it and I had to hit the restart button. So, uh, Nick Castellanos, I appreciate you making me think philosophically about baseball, but, uh, but you're done, son. Um, also, Nick Castellanos is kind of a fuckboy. Can I just interrupt you really quick? Yeah. (laughs) Whenever I watch the Cubs, he's always doing something fuckboyish. And honestly, I guess that's fine because like we've all done we've all had fuckboy energy at some point in life, but Nick Castellanos is like a kind of an adult now and he should maybe not just have fuckboy energy at all times on a major league baseball <laughs> field. That's just my thought. It's just one man's opinion. Anyway, let's continue. Fa- that no, that's fair. I he, he, you know, I look at Chris Bryant and he seems like a wonderful human, but if you just showed me a picture of him, I'm like 110% he's a fuckboy. So I think that Castellanos fits right in to the picture. <laughs> Who do you think is I'm baseball's s- preeminent softboy? <laughs> Are you aware of the softboy concept? Have you read about the Vice article? And the- uh, Yes, yeah, yes, I did. Um that's such a that's such a good question. It's such a loaded it's, question. We maybe should not burn this in the middle of this segment. We should maybe save this for later. So I won't force this you. Is, to we could go. We could go an hour on this. Honestly. Yeah. Okay. What's number two off your list? Uh, another thing that melted my brain. Uh, a Rod thinking that only even leads are a good thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, my guy. I'm not sorry. You. This one will not hold up to the test of time. Your. Uh, a-Rod metrics? Yeah, I don't know about this one. Anybody Sorry, go, everybody go check out A-Rod's uh, YouTube channel. He recently uh, posted a video uh, with Barry Bonds about the swing plane revolution, I believe, is the, the, the subject of the video, and just how to get launch angle. So that's something. Tip, pro tips <laughs> from two of the greatest and most talented hitters of all time. I'm sure that will apply to me, right? <laughs> Yeah, I can learn A-Rod. some lessons from from A Rod and Barry Bonds. A Rod becoming a vlogger with Barry Bonds is like the most 2019 thing, and I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared for that. Um, last off my list, Pete Buttigieg 
being anti-DH, mostly just because the the Democratic debate is on tonight. And uh, I don't know how he did, but I'm assuming he got the floor wiped with him by Bernie and Bernie came out with some, you know, pro-DH pay minor leaguers takes. So uh, sorry, Pete, but you're out of here. We're recording this podcast during the Democratic debates as an act of protest. That's my, yeah, that's, that's, my take. that's why it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Bobby, what is going up for you this week? Are you ready for this trio of names? The first thing added to my list is Jacob Junis, Zach Plezak, and Ronaldo Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> Those are names of baseball players. These are the three pitchers who I decided I was going to spot start in the semifinals of my fantasy baseball league, except I didn't even get Ronaldo Lopez because the person I was playing against picked him up before I could. So I only got two of these three shitty pitchers, and uh, Jacob Junis did not pitch well. Zach Plezak pitched a complete game shutout <laughs> with five strikeouts, and I don't even remember what Ronaldo Lopez did. But the reason that I am adding them to my list is because there is no reason that I should be thinking about these three pitchers while I am watching every Mets game religiously in the middle of an NL wildcard push, except for that fantasy baseball is a curse, and I hate it, and I don't know why I was allowed to be roped back into it this year. Uh, so that's the first on my list. We should just uh, we should just start a fantasy baseball podcast. You know, no. like a spinoff, a spinoff of tipping pitches, where we nope. just kind of we're just like naming players. You know, we'd be like, hey, Zach, Zach, please, Zach's a he's a guy. Look, at, he's on a major league roster right now. Why don't you go uh, go give him a pickup this week? You know, the I mean, thing is <laughs> that would serve a greater purpose in the world than the podcast that we're doing now does. So maybe more people would listen. <laughs> No, I honestly hard disagree. We're doing quite a service to our <laughs> to our thirty five listeners. <laughs> More people listen than that. Don't don't take these numbers at face value. Uh, all right. First up for me this week is uh, September baseball, baby. I'm uh, I'm really feeling it. The bug has bitten me. Um, I I think because. We have made it past the the like dog days of summer, the um the the trade deadline and kind of the lull of August baseball. And as of today, I have set up notifications on my phone for uh for Tampa Bay Rays scores, for Minnesota Twins scores, and Cleveland Indian scores because uh this is the time where you start like watching other teams really closely and rooting for the Texas Rangers to beat the Rays because it really matters. And you were just, you're watching the Phillies Braves game right now, even though you aren't a fan of either team, but I actually you strongly have a, dislike both of them. Yes, exactly. But you have a vested interest in them and I, they're really just, I think is nothing to quench the soul. Like this kind of, postseason run especially when it's all so tight like in the nl seven teams could get the the second wild card spot right now because no one seems to want it but but it's fun as hell because it forces you out of your comfort zone a little bit it forces you to root for ronald acuna um which i do all the time anyway yeah obviously but but I, i i love it and it's something to um, to keep my mind off of just hating the return of football, which is really just all I need right now. <laughs> um, Jerry Blevins is currently pitching for the Atlanta Braves, so we fucking stand, as always. Obviously. Uh, you're right. Yeah, September baseball forces us to embody some of the values that we talk about wanting to have throughout the rest of the year, which is appreciating the league as a whole, really uh, as it heats up. And, 
You know, Alex, I think honestly, maybe we should just get rid of all of it. We should just get rid of September baseball and whoever improves their swing plane the most throughout the month of September should make the playoffs. What do you think about that? It really, I mean, if you think about it, it really isn't efficient. You know, like why do we even play September? Like you could just simulate, like once August ends, like just simulate the rest of the season to give them rest before the playoffs. And frankly, I think we'd all be better for it. We should just, uh, we should have a spin rate leaderboard. And that should be that should replace the standings wherever whenever you go to MLB.com backslash standings. Yeah, exactly. Run a run a regression, average it all out, and uh and there's your league championship. But then we wouldn't get to see Pete Alonso shaving his mustache mid-game. <laughs> so, so true. Baseball's weird. I, I love it so much. What is up next for you this week? Uh you mentioned football coming back and how you hate it. Uh next on my list this week is a guy who we spent a lot of time talking about during this offseason, and that guy is Kyler Murray. Mm. Uh, I was thinking the other night about uh, just what it might be like if he were on the A's, and I'm sorry to do that to you. I hate to, hate to do it to you. Oh, but, trust me, I was, I was in the same position. Yeah, I was watching his highlights from the National Football League, thinking, why does anyone do this? But also thinking... It's kind of baseball's fucked up labor structure's fault that Kyler Murray is in the NFL and not in MLB because it takes so long to make it to the majors and you make shit wages as a minor leaguer despite the bonus that the A's are willing to pay him. And it's not nothing is guaranteed and even your salary in the first five or whatever years is arbitrated and that's only for a couple years out of the, the first five years of your career. And... um it's not hard to understand why he chose football. And that's sad to say because as two people who I think stand baseball harder than anyone else I know, I hate to admit that, but I've uh, that storyline has kind of popped back up into my mind over the last week or so. Uh, yeah, and being a member of A's Twitter, uh, it has certainly popped up back into my mind as well because there were many a picture circulating of Kyler Murray in an A's hat, um, pondering his existence after his uh, after week one of the NFL season, which uh, I didn't watch, but I hear it didn't go too well for him. And uh, you know, I wish him all the best. I hope his brain is not too broken by the end of the year. And that's all I can say on it. Yeah, it went okay. You know, I'm not going to break into Ringer NFL show here, but he was fine. It's fine. Everybody kill. Chill. Everybody chill. <laughs> Everybody killed. <laughs> That's <a laughs> disturbingly accurate. Jesus. Uh, okay, what's up next for you? Uh, next up on my list, this might be a little niche of a topic, but um, incredibly funny to me that the Arizona Diamondbacks are like still low-key in it and like they're out of it. They're it. not going to, they're like, yeah. I mean, I don't know that they'll make the playoffs, but <laughs> it's really funny to me because they have tried so hard to tank over the last few years and they just cannot do it. <laughs> and it's one of the funniest storylines to be following because they traded Granky and they traded Goldschmidt and somehow... Somehow they have put together a team of scrubs who have turned into stars. And here they are, three and a half games out of a wild card spot. And Cattell Marte is an MVP candidate, like a like a legitimate one. Like he's just been one of the best players in the NL this year out of nowhere. Dude, I and, know. 
<laughs> and they went and traded their like a like a half scrub of prospect in Jazz Chisholm, who has an 80 grade name, for Zach Gallen, who's one of the best and brightest young pitching talents in baseball. And obviously that was a heist of a deal, but like I I just I can't imagine what's going through their the front office's minds at this point, you know? It's like what are we doing wrong in getting it so right? You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like you remember when they traded Dansby Swanson I for do. Shelby Miller and, and that was like going to be their heist of a deal and it totally blew up in their faces. And now here they are, here they are trying to tear it down and they just cannot do it for the life of them. I know, man. Honestly, Cattell Marte's stat cast God is how we need to refer to him because he's been like the predicted breakout player for the fan graphs types for like five years. And uh, it just happened this year. I just, it's weird too because they are actually good. Like they have a very positive run differential. And I'm happy that they decided to go cold right before this four game series with the Mets. And the Mets just swept them. Uh, they they finished, they closed that sweep out today. But I, I see what you're saying in that they might not uh, actually make it to the wild card because there are so many teams. Um, competing for that one spot, so it's pretty unlikely that they'll be the team that actually gets it. But I don't know, man. There's no sense in trying to predict what's actually going to happen there because the Mets have gone from being like maybe one of the best teams in baseball to being a complete tire fire this year. We just got finished in the cold open of this podcast talking about how the Cubs have been wildly disappointing and they're batting Tony Kemp leadoff. So I don't know what to make of that race. I really don't. Like... I just know that the Nationals are going to be one of the two teams in it, and I'm hoping that it's the Mets facing off against them because the first game of the season this year was DeGrom versus Scherzer, and DeGrom came out on top. So if the last game of the the regular season or the first game of the playoffs, however you want to think about the wild card, is DeGrom versus Scherzer again, it feels like uh, you really complete the circle of life there in terms of a baseball season. Yeah, I think it just speaks to the overall chaos that is baseball. And frankly, that's why I tune in every night that I can because it's unbelievably unpredictable. And uh, and that's what makes me love it. So hats off to the Diamondbacks for keeping things interesting. So weird. Uh, next up for you. Uh, so my final thing that I'm adding to my list this year is a weird story that I don't really want to talk about in depth because this is more of a story that should be talked about by someone who's reported it, I guess or who knows more about the pitcher-catcher battery dynamic. But it's uh, it's Noah Syndergaard v. Mets regarding catchers. <laughs> um, if you didn't see in the past week, uh, there was a story that cropped up uh, about uh, Syndergaard allegedly requesting that he have Tomas Nito catch him compared to Wilson Ramos. Wilson Ramos, of course, the Mets offseason catcher signing, who's had a really good year. I think one of the best things that the Mets did this offseason was sign Wilson Ramos. He's hitting 300, which is really good for a catcher. He had that 24 or 25 game hitting streak, which was really fun to watch. I love Wilson Ramos. I'm glad that the Mets signed him and didn't trade for JT Realmuto or didn't give up a, a major league ready player for JT Realmuto or whatever. Um, that was all great. But it came out this past season or this past week that uh, it was this weird situation this past week where like, it leaked out that Syndergaard wanted Nito to catch him because his ERA this year is like 2.3 with Nito and like five something with Ramos. 
and he thought maybe there might be something there. And then the Mets thought it might be mental, so they wanted him to try to work through it. But Syndergaard might think it was game-calling or something like that. And all of this is speculation, and no one has really given a true quote about this. But I see people online, on Twitter, and I see you know, writing in the tabloids and stuff. And maybe this is just a function of New York media, which we've talked about on this podcast before. But I see people writing the, this is the beginning of the end for Noah Syndergaard in the Mets column. And and that's happened so many times. It happened with that weird thing where he didn't want to go to Syracuse and he complained about that. And it happened when he had all these trade rumors. And I feel like I've been reading this story a lot. There, It, it cropped up a couple years ago when he didn't want to do the MRI, but the Mets told him to do the MRI, but then he went and did the MRI, but then the results were weird. I feel like people are so thirsty for Noah Syndergaard to go somewhere else. And maybe that's just because like he has this great stuff and he's a prime candidate to Garrett Cole this shit and go to the Astros and just become a world beater. But everything is fine. Like Syndergaard seems to like being in New York and he likes his teammates and he doesn't have to fucking love the Wilpons or even Brody to stay there and be a successful baseball player. Like, can we just let him pitch? Like, it's okay. It's fine if Nito catches him. It's fine if Ramos catches him. It's fine if he wants one or the other. Like, I don't think that every pitcher should be allowed to choose their personal catcher at the detriment of the lineup. But I don't know. Man, he's a really good pitcher. Maybe he should have the guy who catches him better and he has a 2.3 ERA against. That's my take. I I've always wondered kind of how this sort of thing works because I am not a major league pitcher. Uh, I don't know if you could tell that, but I don't do that for a living. And so I don't really know how pitching two different catchers uh, feels because it's the kind of thing that crops up from time to time. This this storyline will come up where some pitcher makes a stink about not being able to pitch to his catcher or whatever. And it usually kind of gets glossed over. And it's like for the most part it seems like most pitchers are pretty chill just pitching to whoever and it feels like one of those things where yeah like why not just capitulate to the one guy who's like saying something about it i don't know if that sets a bad precedent it probably does but like if this if this guy's gonna go and speak to the media or complain publicly about this sort of thing like isn't it just better the with the way your season's been going isn't it just better to like give it to him just to make him like quiet you know <laughs> i think mickey like, would say no <laughs> like you you don't need this you don't you need got, this what, next time next time francesa interviews mickey calloway like uh i think he'll will say no it's not better to do that <laughs> <laughs> like i just i i don't know this feels like I have no like rational, well thought out response to this other than be like, yeah, just give the guy what he wants. He's a he's a franchise player and a cornerstone of your team, despite the fact that you have jerked around trade rumors with him over the last couple of years. Yeah. So like at the very least, give him this. If if nothing else. If not if not job stability. I think, yeah. I think maybe not even at the very least give him this. At the very least, like, explore why this is the the case. Like, it doesn't need to be elevated the way that it always seems to be elevated with the Mets. Like, we don't need to leak it to the post. We don't need to start rumors about how long he is in this world, for this world. It doesn't need to be this way. Just, like, examine why he might feel more comfortable with Nito. And as a team, 
work it out. Like have Ramos and Nito discuss what they do differently. Use the analytics department to your benefit in this case, and it can have tangible impact on how Cindergard performs. Like that is how these things are supposed to work. And that is how these things are supposed to be worked out. It just doesn't seem like the Mets ever do that. <laughs> the Mets are just like a like a high school clique, you know? Yes. Who always just have their drama leaking out. And everyone else is like, why the why the fuck do we keep hearing about the drama from those guys? And no one else really cares about it, but they're just perpetually on their bullshit. And frankly, you gotta hand it to them because it just it just never ends, does it? It never ends. It does not. Okay, Alex, let's close this out. What is the final thing you're adding to your list? Jesus Lazardo. And that's it. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the tweet. <laughs> just, that's the tweet. I, I'm really excited. I got to see, uh, I got to see Jesus Lazardo pitch three innings of Major League Baseball and be caught by Sean Murphy. And I feel like, I think this was on one of our lists. I think this was maybe on your list a few weeks ago, but just the idea of watching and tracking young players through the minor leagues and the sheer joy that is brought to fruition by watching them play for your major league baseball team, because you've developed this emotional connection to them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so maybe it's a reprisal of something that we have discussed before, but Jesus Lazardo is very fun and I'm very excited to watch him. And he pitched, frankly, pretty darn well against yep. the Houston Astros and gave up a home run and struck out a couple guys and had a fucking filthy 97 mile per hour fastball with nasty life to it. And, uh, and it's fun. September call-ups are a, are a weird thing that we've discussed at length. But occasionally they lend themselves to these purest moments of joy, and uh, and if nothing but for these moments, they're uh, they're good. So, Jesus Cesardo, welcome, welcome to the family, bud. <laughs> welcome to the league, baby. I love yeah. Jesus Cesardo. He's uh, really good, dude. He's gonna be really good for a really long time. Him and Puck, two big dominant lefties. Yeah. I'm excited to to watch them for the next three or four years before we trade them before they hit arbitration. Oh, don't do that! Don't no, do that yet. Uh, yeah, I know. I hate when A's fans do that I know. or other other people tease A's fans about yeah. that. And I'm like, just let me have this. Like, oh, it's on. like, oh man, like when's Matt Chapman gonna be on the Yankees? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, fuck like, off, shut dude. The, yeah, shut the fuck up. You're a Nationals fan. You can't <laughs> talk shit right now. As we speak, the Braves are threatening to tie and maybe take the lead against the Phillies. So let's do it. September baseball. The Mets are in it still. The A's are super in it still. And Hell we're yeah. both feeling okay. How about yeah. that? I'm watching the, the A's beat Justin Verlander right now. So really, if I needed a way to end my week, that was that was the way to do it. I know. And Matt Olson crushing bombs, just doing what he does. Um this was a, a weird episode where we had to decry a bunch of things that we both know that we agree about. But uh, hopefully next week we have some more fun storylines to talk about. 
if there are topics that you feel like we should cover in the next week or over the next month before the playoffs or even during the playoffs, just hit us up. Typing underscore pitches. Alex, we did a segment last week about baseball conspiracy theories. And I put out a tweet asking people for their best conspiracy theories. And people did not disappoint. Um, Let's read off a couple of the best ones that we appreciated the most. Barry Bonds was forced into retirement by collusion. That's... That's not even conspiracy theory. That's just true. So <laughs> we, we don't even need to discuss that. That's He could have DH'd for an AL team, and he didn't because he had a black mark next to his name. So, uh, But thanks to Nick Reed for, uh, for writing that in. Thanks to Brian Drivens for sharing that he feels that Major League Baseball tells umpires how tight or loose to call a strike zone on any given night. This is an anti-umpires take to contrast with our pro-umpires takes over the last couple of weeks. I uh, I love this one honestly and there's no evidence to back it up but I I can see Manfred pulling these strings you know wanting to have this sort of control over the games I I would love if somewhere in a back room like Rob Manfred was just colluding with Angel Hernandez and being like so is this a strike tonight nah we should we should give him another six inches just to really piss off Verlander all right Alex close this out this week by sharing the best conspiracy theory, in my opinion, that we got submitted to Tipping Pitches. And that came from Glass Half Fulmer. Great Twitter name. What did Glass Half Fulmer think? Glass Half Fulmer thinks that, uh, that Manfred is purposefully trying to drive fans away from the game so owners can claim they're losing money to justify perpetually tanking and never spending money on their teams. Wow. Fuck. Glass Fulmer, come on Tipping Pitches. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And talk about David Dombrowski. Amazing stuff. Go write 2,000 words for 538 about this because it's Seriously. better than whatever they're putting up there right now. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. 